word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Okay, now for those that listen to my podcast, I do attempt to think like walking into a discussion that I might have the sort of the upper hand in just the conversation, the podcasting, the elements of podcasting, because I do this all the time. But talking off air with my next guest, I'm now a little bit concerned that they're going to hold the control of this conversation <laughs> because they're a lot of fun and they're obviously crushing it. And I'm really interested to tell their story. So we've got Kelly Oriard. That's a French origin, by the way, I've learned, Kelly. Uh, and then we've got Kaylee Christensen. Uh, they are the founders of Slumberkins. Many of you might recognize that name uh, from 2017, which feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, that was when they were on Shark Tank. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But they are growing rapidly. They've got a television show with the Jim Henson Company, an app on mindfulness, a new round of funding. There's a lot going on here. And ladies, it's so nice to spend some time with you. Uh, who is the the family therapist and who is the special education teacher? Uh, Kelly Oriard, family therapist and school counselor. Ah, okay, okay. Yep. Oh, and I'm Kaylee, the special education teacher. <laughs> so, so take me back. So, I love it when we find out about entrepreneurs and sort of what spurs them on. Like, what is it about it? Is it a conversation that the two of you have? You know, over coffee? Are you? You know. Tell me about that because the gap between the chasm between, hey, something's bothering me, something's missing in the world to, wait a minute, I and we have an idea. <laughs> and oh, by the way, let's jump into this. There are a lot of steps in between. What was the very, very first conversation like? So Slumberkin started when we were actually, the idea came to us when we were on a maternity leave from our roles as educators, myself in a day treatment, therapeutic day treatment school, Kelly as a school counselor. And we serendipitously landed on a maternity leave together. And to go kind of further back in history, we've been best friends since we were 14, met in high school, met at volleyball tryouts as two very tall, awkward girls that <laughs> met and we're like, oh, cool. We found our village and let's stay together. We very much lived parallel lives of playing sports. Kelly went on to play division one uh, volleyball at university of Oregon, and then on to professional volleyball in Europe for four years. And then I played division one basketball at university of Hawaii. Um, and sometimes I tell people that I piggybacked on Kelly's pro career, moved in with her for three months in Europe and found a team to pay me in cash to show up to games. But um, I think that like all kind of plays into the, the entrepreneur story where we very much like lean back on our careers as athletes and just how we approach things. And so, you know, we both thought we were going to retire as educators. This was a Eve. Yes. Um, we both were working in the therapeutic realms of schools and serving a very similar population of students where it was the rise of behavior, mental health crisis. We were working on the front lines in Title I schools, working with a lot of like 
um, kids that were in foster care or experiencing homelessness or that have lived through really big traumas and just needed extra emotional and behavioral supports to be successful in the school environment. And that really, in sharing the interventions and stories and what we were both using in the schools, um, combined with our uh, being together on maternity leave and just going on walks together daily with our new babies, I think we had these like aha moments of what if we created something that would put the power in the parents' hands before children get to school where we're the intervention specialists in the school environment that then we can actually like help like earlier on in the development cycle where Kelly is a therapist knew exactly what parents should be saying to kids yeah. and embedded them in all of our stories. So, so Kelly, if I'm joining you on the, the, the walk, the two of you with your babies, right. And you're like, there's this random dad who's joining this conversation. <laughs> what was the gap that you guys would have been identifying? Because sometimes I don't know about you guys, but I might think, gosh, there's something missing. And then I think, um, what if I do a quick Google search? And then I find out, no, it's actually that I just <laughs> was not aware that there are answers. So what would the gap, if we were talking on sort of this walk and with the strollers, what is the gap that you both kind of looked at each other and said, like, this is missing. Like, we are not seeing this. Well, I think it was exactly that, putting the power in parents' hands, the knowledge that a therapist has, that a special education teacher has, that a person who is supporting emotional health and wellness of children in a really um, deep way, parents don't get that information many times until they're in a crisis, until they are experiencing something uh, big or important. Like, you know, I think of my my um, groups for divorce were out the door. I couldn't get it to enough of the families to give them the information they were looking for, or their child was diagnosed with ADHD. What should I do to start practicing things with them? Um, but these are skills and um, building blocks that we all want our children to have, even if you don't have a divorce or end up with your child having ADHD. So these skills should be understood and taught at an earlier age, and it needs to come from primary caregivers. That's how emotional wellness starts. And it's not about, if I'm hearing you, it's not about that these are interventions, that we don't have to think of them that way. This is just about building awareness. I'll give you a parallel. Tell me if I'm tracking with you guys, and maybe the, hopefully this will track for the audience, but years ago in my mental health work, um, working with kids on the autism spectrum, I studied under, uh, there's a school of thought, Stanley Greenspan play therapy, which is basically getting on the floor and playing with kids. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, why is this have to be just an intervention? Like this feels like it could be applied with all kids <laughs> of all backgrounds, which is when you get on the floor with a child and you start to speak their language, when they're that young, you start to see some bonding that takes place, right? And growth can come from that. Am I, tr it, that feels very similar to what you're saying. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I would say so many of the things that I learned becoming a therapist, I had so many of those moments, very similar where I thought, why is this gated information that I'm learning about to like implement in a room and it's, oh, and just do this every day and gain these important um, skills and bonding and information information and know that it's so helpful for emotional development and connection through play and these bonds is where it's all at. So that's all layered into our stories, our products, our content, and how we approach interfacing with adults and kids. 
Kaylee, so you guys have this conversation and you both have the backgrounds to be able to say, we can identify this as a, this is a gaping hole. It doesn't maybe have to be an intervention. This can be applied sort of broad based um, to build up knowledge for primary caregivers. But then the next question comes, okay, yeah, but we can identify, we, we know we have the background professionally to see sort of what's missing. We can assess that, but then it's sort of, well, what's first? Like, what's the first thing that we would offer? Um, let alone figure out the name of the company. And I want to know about sort of where did Slumber Kids, where did that come from? Uh, mm-hmm. So kind of talk about that discussion as to sort of where do you start to fill the gaps? Yeah, we had no idea how to start a business. We, <laughs> Honesty like, is the best policy. Yeah, <laughs> we had no clue. We had this idea. I think we both from the very early days knew the power of story. We knew the power of characters because we were using social stories, narrative therapy in schools with kids daily. Um, but that being said, we were like, okay, how can we create a product? We didn't know how to like start up a business relationship and like produce something. So we actually taught retaught ourselves to sew. We kind of grew up like with parents that knew how to sew and um, kind of prototyped our first characters Kelly happens to be able to be a poet. So she wrote our first three storylines. They just like kind of downloaded from her. It was um, our first characters were Bigfoot, Sloth, and Yeti. Um, We sewed about 30 initial prototypes and sold them at a local high high school holiday craft fair here in Vancouver, Washington, and um, ended up like completely selling out and turning $200 worth of fabric that, by the way, we had to borrow from Kelly's mom because we were broke educators on maternity leave <laughs> um, and turned it into $700. <laughs> and we were like, we, I mean, we also treated that craft fair like the NCAA tournament. That's just like who we were. <laughs> we took it so seriously. Um, but then we took that $700 opened a bank account and then just bought, spent all of that on more fabric to make more. And actually the first like year and a half of Slumberkins, we completely bootstrapped it while still working part-time in the schools. Um, Cause both of us were back from maternity leave in part-time capacity in the schools. And we were just completely like inundated with sewing Slumberkins to try to keep up. Cause we went to a couple more craft fairs that holiday season sold out every time because of people resonating with the storylines and what we were doing. And then we were like, okay, let's try this on Etsy and put it on Instagram. And the rest was history. It was just, we then felt like it was a tidal wave to keep up with demand. We never felt like we were having to like seek out customers. They just, it was, we couldn't keep up. So it's, it's um, documented everywhere. Just the struggles that female entrepreneurs have and getting funding, being taken seriously in a number of ways with guys that look like me, sadly. Uh, talk about the journey as not just female entrepreneurs, but best friends as moms, what that means. Cause I don't, I, I don't want to run over you. You said something there, Kaylee, which I think is really key in the story of an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs is that you went and you had $200 invested. There wasn't even your money. <laughs> right? And you come away with 700. And then you said that one little, you said, and then we went to the bank and opened up a bank account. That right there could be a series of chapters in a book that you may write one day because it's fascinating to me because in that moment, you are saying yes to moving forward, which means then if I had purchased at that craft fair, right, one of the one of your products that now I'm expecting you to continue to grow and you're going to have to continue that narrative, which says you are going to make it. And so many businesses don't. 
what is that car ride like when you're saying you're looking at each other going, what are we doing? <laughs> there were or, or was that what rides. you had, Kelly? Was that the conversation? Yes, there were many car rides like that. And this is where having a co-founder for me and Kaylee, co-founder, best friend, yeah. uh, you know, basically sister has been everything for us. Um being women entrepreneurs, being navigating these spaces, we could not have done it without each other because it is hard and it is um, a lot of unknowns um, and a lot of walking into rooms, not really being part of the group or totally understanding what's going on, but we feel confident when we're standing next to each other. How do you, so, how do you, Kelly, how do you balance that? Because I think the mom component, right? The backgrounds that you both have, those are value props to a potential investor or just a customer. But yet the side, the other side of the coin is, yeah, but okay. The, the, how sweet, how cute is that? And how do you balance that? Because I would imagine depending upon the meeting, depending upon the situation, you kind of have to wear different, not hats, but almost masks to say, no, 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 this is valuable that we have these backgrounds and these, this is who we are as women. And you have to take us seriously. And we are, you know, business professionals. Is that a delicate balance? It is a bit. I would say it's one of my favorite ways to come in the back door with people uh. and let them assume that we just are sweet <laughs> and don't understand and then surprise people, you know, uh, I think that that's what we've done, um, many, many times over. Um, you know, I remember when we were on shark tank, we said, this is going to be a TV series. And they were like, everybody says that that's never going to happen. And like, here we are, we have our show as a TV series. So, you know, when we say something, we mean it and we're going to make it happen. And I trust in that because I know the person standing next to me is never going to quit and I'm never going to quit. So, um, it is a delicate balance and it's definitely a bit of a dance and learning the whole parts of fundraising and all of that. That's like a whole separate job to actually running your company. Um, but it's felt manageable somewhat. I mean, I have some gray hairs from it <laughs> uh, with Kaylee by my side and doing it together. Kaylee, talk a little bit about celebrating successes. I find that of all, when I think about all the people I've interviewed, entrepreneurs, one area of struggle is in allowing themselves individually or as let's say co-founders, I guess the space to celebrate the wins because you're always, there's always that sort of fear that the the bottom could fall out, which keeps us going, right? So it's, and you're competitive, you guys were highly competitive in athletics too. Mm -hmm. uh, do you allow yourself to celebrate? How do you do that in a way that that feels restorative to, to what you've already sort of put into uh, the collective bank account emotionally? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, ignorance was pure bliss. Like every time we made a sale, we were like, yes, we're doing it, you know? Um, but I think that it goes back to that tenacity and also like very, we had a huge vision, but we also, we weren't afraid of failure because any time that we even like, got one sale and one more family that was adopting using Slumberkins. We saw that as a success. And, you know, to the point of fundraising, we didn't even go try to actually fundraise until we had a million dollars in revenue behind us. So we had proof, we had data, 
you know, we weren't trying to just pitch an idea. We had traction. And I would say Kelly and I both like as educators turned entrepreneurs, sometimes we don't know how to articulate that traction very well, but we had the data points so that once people would like look into the data, they'd be like, oh, wow, <laughs> you guys are like really crushing it and don't really know how to tell your story from a, you know, venture like version of it. So, uh, but I do think that that's benefited us, but I, the celebration can be, we do like to celebrate. I would say that's the good part of having the co-founder, like Kelly has said, where, you know, there was a moment when in reflection on the crazy days when we were bootstrapping, there was a moment of like, where we, we really turned problems into like moments of like, wow, okay, this is actually just a moment to reflect on. Like there was a moment in 2016 where we had bought out every fabric store in the Portland area of all of their plush fabric. And we didn't know about distributors or ordering or like, we didn't, we didn't know any different than just going to the fabric store and purchasing fabric. And so Again, we bought ignorance is it. bliss, right? Yeah. And at one point I went to Sears and bought out their entire aisle of uh, plush blankets and we deconstructed <laughs> blankets to be able to make more slumberkins. And in hindsight though, I'm like, I mean, that's kind of a win that like we bought out every single fabric store of plush fabric to be able to keep up with the demand at the time. And it's just an insane moment that now we like laugh about. But there's like so many moments like that. Like Kelly and I, when we first started, we were so broke. Our goal was to be able to pay for eyelash extensions and a house cleaning, like house cleaning, because <laughs> as educators, those were like totally they were not unattainable. (laughs) So that, that would be the opening scene of your, of your Apple TV documentary is you going through Sears, buying up all all the, right. What is this woman doing? Like I'm totally enthralled in this, right? Headroom is produced by old soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt at old soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's old soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. How has your how has your relationship to success changed, especially because of your athletic background? I think it you grow up as an athlete and there are ways in which there are box scores, there are stat sheets. You can start, you can kind of sit down and say, was I successful? Was I not successful? What did I contribute to the team and really compartmentalize? Mm-hmm. But boy, being an entrepreneur can be incredibly different. There could be a win one day that tomorrow doesn't feel exactly like a win. And the rules are very, very fluid. Yeah. What is your personal relationship with success? How has that changed and morphed from being an a-, a student athlete to a professional athlete to an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think um, obviously as a student athlete and then as a professional athlete, um, I was in the position of being a team leader and part of a team, not necessarily like the coach or the, you know, person on top in that way. Um, And so, you know, I think that was the moment where I learned about grit, tenacity, um, looking at failures as just another learning experience, picking up my teammates, knowing that you can never, ever do it by yourself and that you are part of a team till the end and helping your team is only going to help yourself. Um, as we entered into entrepreneurship, I would say the piece that really I had to learn, I think both Kaylee and I were sort of looking for in the beginning the coach or that person that was going to tell us 
what to do, you know? Cause we're like, well, there has to be a playbook of like somebody who's done this and like, where's that person? We just need to talk to them. And so we kept having this hope that we were going to meet some person or, you know, that was going to be able to tell us what to do next to be successful. And every time we thought we found that and like put our trust in it, we would get kind of smacked by the universe saying, uh, no, <laughs> it's you, you are the person that's going to have to do that. Um, so that's been the really big learning on being an entrepreneur is that there is no playbook. The big secret behind the curtain is no entrepreneur knows exactly what they're doing in the throughout the day. You can have a lot of skills, you can have done things before, but it doesn't specifically compute to the thing that you are doing right now in this market with your product or whatnot. It's always going to be slightly different. So you just have to be agile and ready to adapt and move quickly. Love that response. And especially the visual of the universe slapping us, you know, I think that many in the audience can say, I've had that same experience. Uh, Kaylee, talk a little bit about, and I may be wrong, but boy, to be able to say that you, you guys have a show, Apple TV, Jim Henson Company, if that doesn't ring of an incredible endorsement... <laughs> I don't know what does. Tell me about how that uh, transpired and how does that impact the vision moving forward? Yeah, we are, we love our partners at Apple and Henson. I would say, you know, when Kelly and I were teaching ourselves to sew, I had a former basketball coach give me like a one page outline of um, being able to articulate your business plan. And part of it was defining your vision. And the sentence was, was finish the sentence, I'll know I've made it win to help define the vision. And back then, early, like late 2015, early 2016, uh, our answer back then was when there's slumberkins on ice. And so we like <laughs> very much saw, okay, it, these characters can be something. Like they have, they can be a life bigger than us. Like, um, and so that kind of put us down this path where, Yes, we bootstrapped our way to, you know, getting close to a million in revenue by the time we went on Shark Tank. We got ourselves on Shark Tank, but the vision was always so much bigger than that. And um, obviously we couldn't really articulate that to the sharks in the right way. But, um, you know, we ended up like shortly after Shark Tank, we took the influx of influx of cash from that um, end of year airing and took $14,000 and said, okay, we need to bring these characters to life. There's like something here. So we had a friend build a puppet in his garage in LA. He built a set. We like, we were making our own like YouTube version of Bigfoot at the time. And it wasn't even out on YouTube yet. And we ended up going to a conference in Palm Springs called the Altitude Summit around the same time, like spring 2018, um, and met the president of television for the Jim Henson company there, Hallie Stanford. And... Um, we just connected with her at a dinner. Someone introduced us who knew us and knew her and said, you two, you guys need to all know each other. So, and she loved the idea. I was like, I want to learn more. Let's go to dinner offsite tomorrow night. So then Kelly and I go and she just, she resonated with it. She was, how do you sleep that night, by the way? Not, not oh. to, like, we, we you were, were, like, beside tried, were you playing it cool. Weren't you like, sure. Oh, yeah. we, can we make dinner tomorrow night? What do you think Kelly? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Kelly is a huge Jim Henson fan and oh, nerd. Yeah. Obviously I grew up watching Sesame street yeah, and all absolutely. that, but Kelly, yeah. Kelly oh, takes I'm a huge Benson nerd, yeah. like deep, deep in there with yeah. <laughs> my favorite movie with, was Labyrinth with David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. 
So we go to this dinner at offsite at the altitude conference and, um, at the table after just, you know, relating as moms and with kids and what we wanted to do and change in the world, Hallie, we, and we had our like proof point of like our own Bigfoot puppet. And Hallie was like, I can't believe you want to do this with puppets. Like we need to do this together. Like, let's do it. Let's make a show. And Kelly and I, of course, are like, kicking each other under the table. And I mean, it's just, it's not the traditional way you get a show as we've learned. And so, um, and that was like, actually, it's funny. We're very scrappy. We're very frugal. Um, Kelly never will offer to pay for a meal. Like, but this one, she was like, she made a move and was like, we've We've got got this. I've got like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm going to pay the tab. Oh, Oh, but it was like, it was so great. And then we, once we got back from the conference, we called Hallie because at that point, then we had built the relationship. We felt like very connected to her just as friends called her and said, okay, what's next? Like, we're serious about this. What do we need to do? And she goes, my legal will send over like a shopping agreement and like you're you're already talking to the decision maker so you don't need to do anything else like we'll send you the contract and so then we entered the shopping agreement stage where then we were able to take a year and really kind of concept what does a Jim Henson and Slumberkins co-production look like who would be the right showrunner who would be what's the visual direction what kind of music do we want to do and all of that and then the rest is kind of history it's been like five years in the making and it's, it's so crazy that now it's out in public and people can watch it. Let's hone in on that, on that dinner. Like I I just recently moderated an event at a high school for, you know, kids in an entrepreneur program with these VCs and people have been very successful. And I would think that would be very compelling for those students if they were sort of here now in this discussion to understand the mechanics of what you think went right in a dinner like that. Because I think we can be so regimented, right, in this formula that I'm going to have to have my plan and I've got to do this. And it's, I'm getting the sense that you kind of just, you pull kind of a Luke Skywalker Star Wars moment where you forgot all of that and you just were yourselves. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but what's the, yeah. the lesson of that dinner? Because if that dinner doesn't go well, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, you might still be rating, you know, the Sears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's very true. <laughs> and trying to produce YouTube content. Or yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say again and again, the lesson that we've learned is that it's about relationship. And when anytime something is about relationship, it's about authenticity. It's about connecting as your true and authentic self. And as founders and as entrepreneurs, you are the person that's representing that for your brand. And so if you can't just authentically connect to somebody and really tell them the reason why you're doing something and why it's so important and inspire them, then you have some digging to do on your side of what you're doing. Um, Kaylee and I, this is our heart and soul. Like we have poured everything into this brand and know it back to front. Can we say it in the way that a VC understands all the time? Probably not, (laughs) but we can tell you why we're doing it and what we want to do in the world. And when you are able to articulate that and come back to that, even when you are talking to a VC, people feel that and it resonates in a way where the trust comes because people invest in people. They do. Very well said. Let's pivot to education and K2 right? Because that's that's the focus on the education side of the entertainment education um, configuration of the company. A lot of people want to serve the K2 space. 
but it, you always get this sense that it's, well, I don't know what door to open. <laughs> it's like, it feels very, very difficult. It's like a moving target, but you've had successes. Now you've got obviously the show, these sorts of things. Are you finding that the opportunities are more than you can even sort of deal with? If you think about just sort of the onslaught of, of interested parties because of the notoriety, the recognition of the brand. And I say that almost selfishly as a parent to say, hopefully so, because that means sort of the health and wellness and experience of kids in K2 can be realized through your offerings. Yeah, to the point around opportunities, we've learned the power of saying no and trying to figure out the proper um, sequence because the opportunities are endless. And me, out of the two of us, I have the most FOMO. So I want to say yes to every opportunity and not do. the opportunity. <laughs> um, but I have learned that there is so much power in no and proper sequencing. Um and, and also I am just classic, like I will take on too much and not do one thing well, you know, like I do so much better if we, if I have dedicated focus and then I dive in and do that one thing well. And so, um, you know, education, once we got the show kind of go, Kelly and I are co-producers on the show, co-executive producers on the show. And that took a lot and a lot of time, especially from Kelly's side around the, the script writing uh, as a therapist, she was really involved in that. I was more involved on the visual uh, creative side. Um, but once that was kind of in the works a couple of years ago and we got through the the creative direction on it, the focus became education um, and building out the curriculum. And, you know, when we launched the curriculum hub, when the curriculum was complete with, um, you know, a unit plan around every character and a year's worth of social emotional learning lessons, it felt as mission aligned and as great as when the show launched. It felt like we were accomplishing our mission of getting back into the world of supporting students um, in the schools because that's where everything started. So um, it's felt like a very natural progression for us uh, in our entrepreneurship journey with the brand. Um, yeah. And Schools are, I mean, it's just amazing to see the adoption of the, the K2 curriculum in schools, because as we know, everyone is overwhelmed. <laughs> Teachers are tasked with supporting the emotional health and wellness of their students more and more. Yet there's not, there aren't that many resources in how to do it. Uh, Kelly, let's, let's close with this. We could, I could ask you guys questions for quite some time here. I'm just fascinated with what you're doing here. I'm going to put on the sort of education sector hat. For every sort of educator turned entrepreneur, I hear stories of then hundreds, if not thousands of educators that reach out to those entrepreneurs and say, how did you do it? <laughs> I want to do it. I want to be able to be in the classroom, let's say, and also start something. What has that been like? Do you've got? Do you find that you have conversations, maybe over a glass of wine? It just feels like something where you could reflect on being unofficial ambassadors to educators out there and the representation of what it means to be an educator. That it's not what it, we thought it used to be, which was within four walls during eight to three. It's now this is a lifestyle. It is an ecosystem. We are community driven, and now it is also about what we can do outside with all these amazing talents. So talk about just that and the sense of responsibility you may or may not feel for those educators that look up to you now. I mean, being an educator for both Kaylee and I is core to who we are. When we think about the culture that we've formed in our business, it is very much influenced by school culture and how we 
we manage our teams and think about um, diversity and inclusion and all of that. That's we we really took the lead of the schools um, and the training that we received there. And I think people who work in schools and educators are the most scrappy, <laughs> uh, tenacious, um, passionate, hardworking people out there. And so we personally, we love to hire other educators because we know that they're, <laughs> they're going to get to work and they're doing it for the right reasons many, many times. And um, I think I love the idea of more educators getting, getting into the world of entrepreneurship. I think um, we have a unique view of issues that are going on in greater the greater world you're with kids. These kids are going to be the kids that are running the world and influencing culture later on. So we have these like very small moments in time to affect them. And so for us being able to make the biggest impact that we could with their parents before they get to school, now hopefully supporting and extending that learning into school with curriculum, the whole experiment of this brand is sort of an intervention and support to change culture around emotional health and wellness and how we approach it. And I think there are many, many teachers and people who see issues like this within the system of the school that could be applied to broader context. It could be applied to, you know, the U S it could be applied globally. And I encourage people to think big like that because Early days when we were driving in the car and we said, well, who is doing these kind of things? Who makes toys and books? And, you know, we looked at each other and we said, well, why not us? We have the training. We care deeply. If it's not going to be us, it's just going to be somebody else who doesn't know these things. So let's give it a try. And wow, I mean, you can do it. If we can do it, you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Kaylee, where can people go to learn more about the television show, Slumberkins? Like where, where, where should they go? Yeah, uh, slumberkins.com. And then we hang out a lot on Instagram. We're starting to hang out more on TikTok, which, you know, for the community of educators, the the teachers of TikTok trend is real. You know, if this it is had this idea now, I think maybe we would have started it on TikTok. We I don't know that we would have sewed creatures. Like, <laughs> you know, like times have totally changed. And I think platforms like that give uh, educators that are passionate and have an idea, a platform to launch and launch faster than we even did. So it's exciting times, I think, to be an educator with an idea and try to pursue it. Well, I will, I will sync up with you guys on Instagram. What a treat it is for, I think, not just for myself, but for the audience to be speaking with Kelly Oriard and Kaylee Christensen of Slumberkins. Uh, and next time we chat, I want to dig into this. We, something Kelly was missed here, but Kaylee talked about how she was running into Sears sort of as this, you know, crazed entrepreneur. And we didn't hear about you doing that. Was this you in the car going, no, it's fine. I'll go grab dinner for us. You go in and <laughs> I want to no, go. No. I was at home hand stitching the little faces oh. and fluffing the edges. <laughs> and vacuuming the Slumberkins while she probably, was buying Probably them. saying, Kaylee, I can't believe she's doing this, but we need it. Okay, this is great. Uh, uh, get it all. <laughs> that's right. But look, thank you uh, as a parent. Thank you for saying yes to your intuition as educators and as parents, because we're benefiting from that. And I love that you incorporated in the entertainment side of it because it is the power of story, the power of narrative that pulls us in and connects us emotionally. All the success in the world. You guys are crushing it. I look forward to catching up with you in the future. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. 
Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. <laughs>